ready. Laddie stares out the 2-0. Swing a ground ball. Pass the reach of Bogarts into left field, and the Blue Jays are going to win it. Springer scores. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. delivers. They're jumping up and down to the left of the mound, celebrating a walk-off win. What an unbelievable ninth by the Blue Jays. Unbelievable ninth indeed. Pretty fun game. Overall, welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That was Ben Wagner on the call yesterday as the Jays walk off the Red Sox. 6-5. They open up a 4-1 lead. It slowly gets chipped away. Trent Thornton, high leverage reliever. I don't know about that one. And then they fall behind even. Add a little extra on there. Tim Mesa gives up a run. The bottom of the ninth goes about as well as you could hope for the Blue Jays. Danish Robles, they uh, didn't have it. And the Jays kind of hit around until Vladimir Guerrero Jr. knocks in the winning run, yells to the crowd, this is our house, and then continues to play to the crowd through three water baths post-game. A lot of fun. A lot of fun, I'll tell you. When that game was 5-4 Boston, didn't feel like this show would be as fun today. Now we're looking pretty good. We're feeling pretty good. Speaking of feeling pretty good, a Jays update for you from here on the Sportsnet side. Dan Shulman provided the update today about Buck Martinez. And he said, he and Arlene are thrilled to report he's finished treatment yesterday. It all went as well as it possibly could, and they're heading home now to begin rehab and recovery. Buck is very hopeful he will be able to rejoin us in the booth at some point post-All-Star break as soon as he is feeling strong enough. Uh, so that's some awesome news for Jays fans. Awesome news for anyone who who has followed the team over the years. Missing Buck's voice. They're looking forward to hearing him again. Um, sending all our, our love and energy uh, to Buck as well. More awesome stuff. We're giving away Jays tickets later in the show. Stick around for that. Keep an ear out. You can send your texts in too. Um, not related to the giveaway. 590-590 or tweet at me at Blake Murphy ODC. I will sprinkle your questions and comments in throughout the show. We've got Doug Fox of Future Blue Jays on a little bit later to kind of look at the organizational starting pitching depth in the event that they need to reach into that depth or as we try to figure out what the 2023 rotation could look like with Hyunjin Ryu, probably not a part of that. We've got Brittany Donaldson on later. Uh, she's a former Raptors assistant coach, a Raptors 905 coach who's a big baseball fan and has a, a strong data and actuarial sciences background. We're going to pick her brain on some baseball uh, data stuff, especially as it pertains to player development. And for the next hour, sitting in my right here of sportsnet.ca, of the At The Letters podcast, Arden Zwelling. How are you, buddy? Blake, what's happening, buddy? How's it going? Um, I'm doing well, man. Better better after that bottom of the ninth last night than it, than it would have been otherwise. Um, were you down at the game for that one? No. Yesterday yeah. was my first day off in, uh, I don't know, it felt like a long time. Oh, right. You were on that entire uh, entire yeah. road swing. I did the whole road trip for that. and uh, But it did occur to me how different the tenor would be today yeah. if not for uh, what? Basically, so three singles. Mm-hmm. The Kirk one was well struck. We'll yeah. give Kirk that one. But the other two... Ground ball, weak hit singles yeah. that get through the infield, play to run. The Blue, you know, Robles was gettable, but got babbipped 
for sure. Yeah. And because of the Babip gods shining on the Toronto Blue Jays, it's a pretty different tenor today. It sure is. And it's uh, it's always great, too, when obviously any comeback win like that is great, but when the top of the order gets it done, and I think we can include Alejandro Kirk in that at this point. Technically, he was the nine-hitter there, pinch-hitting for Rymel Tapia. Um, but he starts it off with a single, and then it's walk, single, single for the top three guys in the order. Vlad, by the way, goes three years of his career without a walk-off. Now he's got two in the last little bit. Are we just going to keep picking up the pace with Vlad walk-offs at this point? He's got a taste. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all about timing. It's all about circumstance, right? That's what baseball is. It's like today we're talking, if, if the Jays lose that game, it's the bullpen's terrible and, you know, eject Trent Thornton from the ship into the center of the sun and, uh, oh, Teoscar Hernandez getting picked off at first base. Nobody talking that, about that anymore. That was a bad one. Getting doubled up off at first base falling asleep in that spot on, an, on a pop-up behind the catcher yeah i know it was a hit and run but he had a lot of time to turn around and get back <laughs> no That's, it's, uh, it's not a play you're advancing on no. so there's really nowhere to go but back to first base yeah. like there's a magnifying glass on that i mean it's there's a lot it's a much different conversation today and think about the conversation in boston right now people must be apoplectic in Boston over uh, Tanner Houck not being there for that ninth inning. Yeah, not only not being there, but uh, they have now jumped ahead of the Jays in terms of uh, blown saves, the bullpen. Man, we're going to talk about, not to spoil anything, but the bullpen negativity hasn't gone anywhere. We're still going to do that. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some potential trade targets maybe or, or just trade strategy. Uh, the Boston Red Sox are going to be in the mix for just about any relief arm you're trying to get as well. I know Houck's been better um, and, and has helped stabilize the back end a little bit. We're still talking about a guy with a 3.42 ERA who doesn't miss bats at a closer level of missing bats. So I don't know. I mean, he, maybe he doesn't blow it as dramatically. Maybe maybe they manage the bullpen a little different. Um, but it is it's at least a little funny to to watch the Red Sox fans react to that. I haven't seen it, but I can only imagine what the Red Sox Plus show is like. Yeah, I don't <laughs> their equivalent. Yeah, uh, today they've got uh, their version of Derek behind the glass is just Ben Affleck drop after Ben Affleck drop <laughs> uh, in anger uh, today. So the bullpen yesterday, Ross Stripling goes five, gets in a little trouble in the in the fifth to where I think at that point you're not letting him come out for the six after the trouble he's through. I mean, they didn't let him come out for, for the six, but through 77 pitches into the fifth, but then gets runners on second and third with nobody out. They get Trent Thornton up in the pen. They don't end up needing him because uh, Stripling gets two infield flyouts in that situation, gets out of it, uh, two earned over five innings, three Ks to one walk, uh, 81 pitches. And they even let him face two guys a third time through the order. Um, I know we did kind of a deeper Ross Stripling thing last time you were on. Has your confidence level in him gone up as he continues to do this and not not just in him getting five innings, but specifically the thing we talked about last time where do you give him a chance third time through the order against some teams? I don't think it matters what we think or say because the Blue Jays clearly are not going to. At this point, if he's not getting it, with the bullpen the way that it is and with him pitching the way that he is, if he's not getting the third trip through now, what what does he have to do? He has to have a perfect game. Right. <laughs> Basically, to get the, the third trip through. The Blue Jays just don't trust it. And so it comes down to, do you feel like Ross Stripling is pitching so well that he deserves to get that third trip through? Or do you feel like he is pitching so well because he hasn't been getting that third trip? Through? Yeah, and that's I, I like to talk about this because I think it's a, that the way you phrase that is a really fun 
kind of yes data question but also like an interesting pitching question um and we saw you know he can dictate a little bit of it on his own you you joke he has to have a perfect game they let him go six against the white Sox. they let him get a little deeper How into many batters? i think five right five five a third it. time yeah. which is pretty significant right um no that's more than halfway but that's also uh not a very not uh, an al east level lineup at least not the way that the jays saw them that thinned out so that's probably the deepest he's gone into a lineup this year, I would say. It is. Yeah. yeah. There's no way. I can't it's remember. the only time he's time. gone past the number two hitter a third time through. And it, the funny thing is, like, there is there are knock-on effects from that because already you're looking at, you say, Kikuchi being a guy who is thrown in your rotation and you need to have length in the bullpen behind him. Jose Barrios as well, who has, like, completely skyshot inconsistent. You don't know. He might go seven and strike out 12, or he might not get out of the third. So you have to have length behind Jose Brios as well. And by design, no matter how well Ross Stripling is pitching, you have to have bullpen length behind him as well because you're not going to let him see more than, let's say, 20 batters, right? And if it's the Yankees, you don't let him see Judge a third time. So it's a hard 18 cap against the Yankees. So... You have to have length in the bullpen behind him as well. And what's the matter with your bullpen right now? There's nobody you trust in it. So, and it's it's completely beleaguered and spent every night. So the Blue Jays basically have three fifths of their rotation that requires heavy bullpen logging of workload behind them. It's a tough it's a tough spot right now, Blake. Yeah, you uh, you've already used 19 relievers this year. The Buffalo Bisons have used, I think, 17 starting pitchers in part because they keep getting called up to fill in back end roles yeah. for for the Jays. Um, man, it's a uh, it's a lot. And you mentioned the Kikuchi and Brios thing. I, I was gonna start positive and go negative later, but let's sure. just let's stay with it. Um, so they have five games over four days this weekend against Tampa. And, and tonight they've got a chance to sweep the Red Sox, which should be front of mind. It's Alec Manoa on the hill with his funny macho man sunglasses and his self-designed shirt. What do you think of the shirt, by the way? I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. You're you- at the game most of the time. It, it They do. They air commercials for it all the time. Oh, no. I never watched the game on, on TV. Right. Yeah. I know. You're at the game. Yeah. So what's, uh, uh, do you like it? It's. Uh, I would trust your opinion more than mine. Uh, how can I say this delicately? Um, it's very evident from the shirt that Alec Manoa is from Florida. <laughs> if I, if that yeah. gives you an idea of Got what the it. shirt looks like, it's, uh, you know, it's like third wave affliction kind of gear. Oh, okay. Um, it's not, it's not bad. Like, look, a lot of people are going to get a free shirt and I'm sure you'll see them around the, around the city and around the stadium. I don't think anyone's, uh, you know, wearing it to the school dance or anything like that. Got it. Yeah. It's, uh, but Okay, so you're saying that like he's in the room. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, he's a guy we've had on Sportsnet 590 shows before. And he I could wanna, break you in half. He could true. absolutely yeah. snap me in he half. He could yeah. snap you in half. And I'm not a small guy. Sure. No, no. <laughs> neither is he. <laughs> yeah, uh, him and Max Castillo just walking up to me and picking oh, yeah. me up out of this chair. And it's, uh, it's Jay's Talk Plus with Arden Zwelling now. <laughs> um, so, okay, so looking ahead of the weekend. Manoa starts tonight, which means he's not going to be one of the five. I, I don't think there's a scenario where they'd start him on short rest to, to get him into that Tampa series. So you're looking at Kikuchi Thursday, Barrios Friday, Gosman and Blank Saturday, and Stripling Sunday. This all feels so exacerbated by the fact that, like, five games in four days against a division rival will be tough regardless. But you're looking at Kikuchi and Barrios back-to-back, yep. where... 
you may have longer bullpen days and then a doubleheader and then stripling in the day after the doubleheader. Are you just expecting like a ton of up and down over the course of those couple of days? I know they get the extra roster spot for the Saturday games, but this feels dicey. Well, and all five of those games are played within a 72 hour span. Yeah. Is the other thing. And the, like, so no one's pitching more, no relievers pitching more than tw- three times. The real tough one is the final three games, right? Because it goes Saturday at 12, Saturday at 6, Sunday at 1 30. Yeah. So that's three games in a 25 ish, 26 mm-hmm. hour span. That's ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Isn't that insane? Um, so, yeah, you, you're going to have to be very cognizant of reliever workload. And who knows where your bullpen's at going into that with Kikuchi Barrios leading into it. Um, I believe it'll be Thomas Hatch in the second game okay. of the doubleheader. Unless Gosman wants the second game, then it'll be Hatch in the first one. It'll be up to Gosman, whichever one, of he, course. whether he wants the 12 or the 6, and, and Thomas Hatch is going to get the other one. So we'll see what kind of length Thomas Hatch can give you. Again, probably not a guy you want getting too deep a third trip through. Um, who knows how stretched out he's going to be. I mean, yeah, there's going to be some some optioning this weekend, I think. There's going to be a little bit of cycling at the back end of that bullpen. I would imagine Casey Lawrence will be in Toronto at some point this weekend. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, and I would imagine, you know, a Sean Anderson or a Max Castillo might not want to get, you know, too, too comfortable, yeah, too locked into the, you know, the locker in the Blue Jays clubhouse that they're holding down because might be somebody else's bags coming through there at some point this week. And that's just it's but it's just it's going to be out of necessity, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're going to get like Burrios bounce back and he's going to go eight or unless... and he might. He's been so up and down and there's not a consistent thread to what's plagued him no. that he could. He could go out there Friday and throw eight, and I wouldn't be surprised. And if he doesn't get out of the third, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, either the curveball is getting the reactions that he wants it to or it isn't, right? Because yeah. when it is, then all of a sudden he's tunneling with the fastball and the two-seamers working. But when it isn't and he's not getting expansion with the curveball and he's not getting the swing and miss on the plate or even weak contact, now all of a sudden the fastball is real hittable and they're, they're, he's getting knocked around. So here's a question for you. Say one of Kikuchi or Brios really struggles. Or Thomas Hatch, whoever. Someone struggles during this five-game series. Is there a scenario where the Jays ask a guy to just wear it? Where it's like, Barrios' last start is a great example. He gave up eight over two and two-thirds before they hooked him. He had given up eight over two, and they sent him back out for the third. They were asking him to wear it yeah. in that spot. He was going. He went back out for the, having talked to people, like, they're, you know, in that spot, you don't want to send him back out mm-hmm. for the third. And they sent him back out, and he knew it, and he talked about this going back out for the third to just get some innings, mm-hmm. to just get some outs to help the bullpen. And he didn't even have that yeah. on the day, which was uh, a problem. And look, when you're doing that with your 130, or what, what was that deal, 137, whatever it ended yeah. up, yeah. when you're doing that with like your big ticket arm, that's an issue, right? Like you, yeah. you could do that with a Sean Anderson. Like you can do that with a Trent Thornton. You're doing that with Jose Barrios, like opening day starter. <laughs> extension in the offseason traded two top 100 prospects for him you're in dire straits now, now you're in the weeds right the now. counter would be if you've got to ask anyone to do it let it be the guy that you're paying good money to and hasn't given <laughs> you uh the money's worth so far uh, so it was 131 i was right yeah yeah seven years well, that's where i got the seven from. yes because they bought out the last year of yeah. arb and then six on top of that. Yeah, and you paid him that money, by the way, to be Jose Barrios, to be Mr. Yes. Consistency, Mr. We don't have to worry about you. Every five days, you're going to take the ball and be Jose Barrios yeah. and give us your six innings, sometimes your seven, and you're going to end up with like a 3-8 ERA and 180, 190 innings. Like That's what that money is for. All of You're a saying sudden, it's not for the Scott Feldman, <laughs> hey, yeah. 
our prospects aren't ready yet. Uh, here's three years, 36 or whatever Houston gave them. And it was just like, we don't care what you do. Just pitch 150 innings. I can tell you right now, it's not for Jose Barrios to have yeah. a worse ERA than you say Kikuchi. Oof, it's that bad. To have Oof. some of the worst contact management numbers in the game to be um, yeah, giving up really, really bad hard contact on his fastball to not be getting whiffs, to not be striking people out. It is such a mystery. Like with you say Kikuchi, I mean, it's almost more straightforward, right? Like it's it's almost easier to identify what's going wrong there and what he needs hey, he's to do. pitching poorly. With, you know, <laughs> the reasons why. Um, for Barrios, I think it's a lot more of a mystery. And the Blue Jays thought they had a handle on it. Like they thought they had figured it out. Yeah. You know, they thought. Well, he had those couple of starts in a row where I think it was three starts in a row where the swing and miss stuff was incredible. I remember there was a there was a Saturday game I was down at the Dome for sitting next to Ben Wagner. And I think he had 18 swing and misses yeah. in that game and a career high 13 strikeouts. And then I think the two starts that followed that were great too. And then it tailed off again. The curveball, there was that one game that the curveball just had no break to it, no spin to it. And then whatever the heck happened on the weekend. You got to be thinking of the Minnesota start, right? Yeah. Against his yeah, yes. former teammates. Yeah, the 13K. Struck out 13 twins that day. Like, looked dominant and then was really good against the Tigers. His next time out, he was pretty good against Baltimore too. Like, it, they thought they figured it out, right? They thought they had figured out. They're like, okay, look, it's your sequencing. We need to get that back in. You know, we need to get you back tunneling the way that we... We know that you can back in the lanes that you've had success in before. They tweaked his catcher setup. They moved yeah. on the rubber. They kind of did some stuff with his shoulders, tried to get him more directional, less crossfire. And it's just like, that wasn't it. <laughs> and it was the same thing after Chicago. I was talking to some people after that Chicago outing when I was on the road. And they're like, oh, no, we we know what it is. A little adjustment, like a little tweak. You know, it's an arm side thing. Like, it's very small. He'll sort that out. He'll be fine. And then he goes out against Milwaukee and he's even worse. Yeah. So I think as much as we're scratching our heads about it, the Blue Jays and Jose Barrios are scratching their heads about it. And that is, to me, a bigger problem than you say Kikuchi right now. Yeah, and Barrios, too, the... I worry sometimes when it's little tweak this, little tweak that, and you're kind of chasing your tail with little tweaks, right? Uh, does too, is there too much going on in your head when you're up there? Yeah. Because you're worried about your placement on the mound and your catcher placement and your back being straight and your back, your chest being flush with the plate. And then on top of that, you've got to also throw baseball. Uh, I, I wonder sometimes if uh, – there could be a little too much going on in a guy's head, but I don't know Barrios that well. And the years, like he's been the most consistent pitcher in baseball before this year. I, I don't, he's not the guy I would expect to get in his own head after a, a couple of rough starts. So um, you mentioned Thomas Hatch. Yeah. Thomas Hatch is almost 28 now. It's uh, if he's going to give you something, it's now he has not been, particularly effective this year. Uh, he had a really rough start to the season. Then he had a nice little stretch of four games where uh, five games rather where um, two or fewer earned runs in four of those five. And then the last two starts have gone the wrong direction. Uh, is this just a matter of he's the guy who's most stretched out and hasn't been called up to give to eat innings yet? Is that what's having you lean toward hatch there? It's a matter of depleted depth. Certainly, mm -hmm. right? It's a matter of, uh, oh, we played the Ross Stripling card like a long time ago, and Max Castillo is the long guy in our bullpen right now. So it's basically Thomas Hatch or Casey Lawrence. Like, that's what we're down to. Uh, and I think that you know, Thomas Hatch is, he was lined up for it, first of all, and I think he's probably in better form 
Right now, he's dealing with some shoulder stuff coming out of spring, a little bit of shoulder fatigue, and I think that was sapping the velocity a little bit. And I, you know, I'm told that he's over that now, and he's in a better place. The Blue Jays are happy with how he's throwing the ball. I think you're, you know, he's, he's probably got more swing and miss at this point than Casey Lawrence would, and he's liable to get some more Ks for you than Casey Lawrence would. So I don't, you know, look, if Blue Jays get five and dive, they're like doing cartwheels. <laughs> Great, yeah. you know? Uh, they, they, let's not set the expectations I mean, they take high. five and dive from three-fifths of their rotation right now. They're certainly going to take it from uh, the the guy who's getting called up from AAA. They basically designed Ross Stripling for five and dive, yeah. right? Like, so, and then, yeah, they would love it if, if Yusei Kikuchi or Jose Brios could get through five. So, yeah, I mean, like, Thomas Hodge is going to come up, and I imagine it'll be, like, realistically, you know, three and two-thirds, four innings sort of mm-hmm. deal, and then you've got a, a Castillo or a, you know... Whoever's a left after Anderson. the Kikuchi and Brio starts. It's honestly going to be whatever yeah. our circumstances at that point. They're like, all right, let's just get through Thursday, Friday with these two guys, these two huge question marks, and then we'll see where we're at yeah. for the weekend. And maybe we are making a ton of roster moves on Saturday you, just to be protected. You might have to, and I know yeah. you get the extra roster spot for that Saturday game, but that's only one roster spot. And oh, by the way, you're heading out on a seven-game West Coast swing starting Monday. Just FYI. Yeah, yeah. I good will luck. say, good time to have three catchers at least with yes. five games in four days. Yes. Um, so, man, that's because think that's about it. A, Kirk doesn't go back to backs, right? And you no, got five games not behind in, the plate, not yeah. behind the plate, right? Five games in seventy-two hours, and those final three are in less than thirty yeah. hours, right? Like, how many games realistically is Kirk going to catch? So this weekend, right? Yeah, I would think you could see him. So going, we're locked into Kirk. With Manoa, right? Yeah. That's the only lock with the pitcher-catcher matchups, we like think. Like, Kirk will catch here on Wednesday. Yeah. So I bet you then he catches Friday and then maybe the Saturday night game or Sunday. Yeah. But, like, because you're not get, You could do Moreno and Collins on Saturday. I think you want Kirk catching one of those games. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say. Or Look, Moreno would DH know Hatch. both. <laughs> <laughs> Here's yeah. the thing. Moreno knows Hatch, right? Yeah. So you probably want to line up Moreno with Hatch on whichever yeah. game Hatch is starting on Saturday. Yeah. Right? Although Moreno's been catching Gosman for the most part too, so decisions, this is decisions. No, man. This no, is the hard stuff. Yeah, see, the this other is what the Jays are talking. The about other right option now, would be you start. You, I, I know Kirk hasn't generally done back to backs, but maybe you do let him go tomorrow with Kikuchi. That way, he's available for the early Saturday game because they won't. They won't have him go Friday night, Saturday morning. No one will do that. No, no one will go Saturday night, mo- Sunday morning. Friday also a day game. Friday's a day game, too. Friday also a day game. Candidate, Candidate. baby. It's Jeez. like a 3 o'clock start. All right. Well, this is... So, uh, it's tough to go Thursday, Zach Friday. Zach Collins is Kirk. starting one of these games. So, uh, <laughs> not much... Uh, there's no no imminent Danny Jansen return you're Honestly, hiding from us. You might just throw Collins out there with Kikuchi just to be like, yeah, let's but just try think, anything. Let's I think try the something. Thursday night game is the worst use of Collins, So if you're looking at separating Moreno yeah. and Kirk's roles no, a totally. little bit. Yeah. So... I don't know. Maybe he, I mean, he would know Hatch a little bit too. He would from yes, AAA. So he would know him a little bit. Maybe that's sure. and honestly, if we're being like really cynical about it, yeah. the call up from AAA start is probably the game that on paper will have the least chance of winning. So maybe going with your lesser lineup for that one is the way to go. It's a lot of decisions to be it's made this weekend. A lot. Man. You got to think about playing time for George Springer, who's, yeah. who's carrying an injury right Vlad, now. Vlad, who you know, maybe you don't want to have him play the field both games right like that that risk thing with chapman didn't go away mm-hmm. like there's a lot of guys that are you know playing through stuff right now and you got a lot of workload coming yeah. up this weekend what about this as a strategy for the this is only this only helps with the pitching not the the hitting side but 
we know that the roster rules are now 13 and 13 pitchers yeah. and position players. And then you could do whatever you want with the 27th spot. What if they like teach Max Castillo to play first base <laughs> and then they do the, well, we're just bringing a position player in to, to pitch in this one. I would chuck Matt Gage over there yeah, okay. because he's bigger. Yeah. Honestly. And I like, he is taller. taller. I don't know if he's bigger. bigger. Not, no, he's not th- thicker. Although he's pretty thick. Matt Gage. Yeah. That's uh, a he's heck a of boy. a Haas tag team back there. Right? I might throw Gage over there. Cause he's taller. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like what you're thinking. And he's a journeyman. Like, like, we don't have the it's it's not there on his baseball reference page, but would it surprise anyone if he like played a game in, at first base in the Mexican League and it just didn't get like his position splits didn't get logged? We can we can yeah. sell this. It also would not surprise me if he just went over there and was able to do it. Yeah, he's a resourceful guy, right? Yeah. Like you don't come back from the brink, like the depths of baseball despair, to where he yeah. is now Plus without he, being pretty resourceful. He did the Lucas Giolito thing that you wrote about, where he's yeah. like he just watched Giolito's delivery. And he's like, oh, I'll do that and I'll become a major league pitcher. Why? Can he do the same with a swing? Sure. Just yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'll swing like that. I'll be uh, I'll be the lefty power bat they've been looking uh, for. All this in like games against that division rival who you're neck and neck with, by the way, for these uh, wild card spots that you're now competing with because the yeah. division's essentially a write off. So uh, it's you, know, you happen to be playing the Red Sox and Rays through this week as well. It's a big week for everybody, man. It's a big week for the Blue Jays pitching staff. It's a huge week for Charlie Montoyo. It's a, just a big week for everyone right now. Well, we've got some breaking news. On the show that helps with the bullpen depth a little bit. Sergio Romo has now officially oh, yeah, him. been signed. Sean Anderson headed to AAA. Taylor Sacedo hits the 60 day IL to clear the 40 man spot. Sergio Romo. All right. I mean, I know this doesn't solve anything big picture, and he was shaky enough earlier in the year to get the DFA from Seattle. He's only two years removed from being an ERA of four kind of guy. He can miss some bats. Are you expecting anything here other than, like, is he just another Sean Anderson, Casey Lawrence for these guys right now? I'll do you one better than that. Like, it worked last year. You don't even have to go back two years. Last year, the contact management was really, really solid. Best hard hit rate in baseball, man. Like a 98th percentile uh, exit velo. So... Could he do that again? I don't know. Maybe not. He's 39. He's yeah. the also, he had a 467 baseball. ERA last year despite that because, yeah, he doesn't keep the ball on the ground very well. And I don't know if this is the place. Like, he just went Oakland and Seattle as a poor contact rate guy that still had – or a weak contact rate guy that still had long ball issues into pitcher-friendly parks. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like – Maybe it's a 90% of his pitches are really hard to hit and 10% are just meatballs. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. So I think Sergio Romo is going to be a Blue Jay for a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee that like at the longest three to four months. Okay. And it could be just 10 days. We'll see what happens. It's like a, an NBA, like a 10 day deal. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. it, it might just be that honestly, it's going to be a, let's see, let's see if we, it's costing the Blue Jays, nothing. They are so desperate in the bullpen right now. It is an any port in a storm situation. And if he, look, if he goes out and he gets lit up in two or three outings, I don't think you're going to see him again. It's yeah. going to be, it's very, it's honestly just a look. So nobody should get their expectations too high for him. For me, as somebody who has no emotional investment in the team whatsoever, I can't wait to watch it. 
because he's different and I like yeah. things in life that are he different. Seems, seems like a fun guy too. Yeah. I, I was talking to somebody while the Jays were working on this on the road and they were like, I was like, isn't he kind of like a weird dude? And the person said to me, yeah, but he's the right kind of weird. And I was right. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Let's get him in here. Yeah. So he's not like Joe Biagini weird. No. He's, uh... Yeah. He's like the right kind of quirky. He's the kind of weird that you want, you okay. know? Um, and he's just, I don't know. Sometimes it's just kind of interesting to see a guy throw like eight, 80 mile an hour sliders in a row from a weird slot. And also the other thing I'd heard was the Jays see him as uh, a very uncomfortable plate appearance for a hitter. And that's kind of what they're betting on is that like hitters just, you know, haven't seen him in a while. He's uncomfortable. It's tough to pick up the ball from his arm slot. Like that's why, like he's been doing the same thing for 20 years and that's why it keeps working. Right. Because like everyone knows what he's doing. It's just like an uncomfortable to pick it up. Um, to me, he's a little too similar to Adam Simber. I wouldn't like to see a Simber sixth, Romo seventh. I think that yeah. would be a little too, you want somebody with a bit of ELO and a bit of heat breaking those guys up, but we'll see. I'm very interested to see it play out. I do not have high expectations <laughs> for it. And I don't think that anybody should, but this is the situation that you're in right now. If you're the blue Jays until it's like closer to deadline time, and you can start talking to the Rockies about a bard or talking to the Cubs about a Robertson. Those guys aren't moving right now. No. But it's June 29th. We're on the other side of this weekend, yeah. the other side of this five-game series, it's time. July is official. Like, June is early in baseball. July is late. So this yeah. weekend is the big time warp of what are you doing on the trade market. But, like, if tomorrow Daniel Bard gets traded for, like, two BC prospects, you should everybody should be crushing the Jays. Why weren't they in on that? Why didn't they get that done? But those deals aren't happening. Right. The Jays aren't the only team looking for relief yeah. help. Like you said, the Red Sox... We'd love to get some relief help right now. So plenty of teams are in that market, and the sellers are just going to play this out till close to the deadline, try to get that market a bit bigger and get people bidding against each other. This is the thing is like there are a, a, you could look at this and look at the standings and think so many teams are already clearly out of it that yeah. maybe there's an inexpensive opportunity there because there are so many sellers. But the other side of there being so many teams out of it is that there are so many teams then that also have really good records that are close to a playoff spot. So it kind of it kind of cuts both ways. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit more trade stuff. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh I promise we'll get a little more positive. This is this we the Jays have Alec Manoa going for a sweep tonight against the division rival Red Sox. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit a a walk-off single last night uh to steal a game back that they had blown. And then we went full, full. This weekend's going to be tough. Uh, we'll talk some positivity as Arden Zwelling stays with us next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with JD, Blake, and Ailish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, Arden Zwelling, still with me. Gave you a little update before the break there that Sergio Romo is officially a Blue Jay. Sean Anderson down to AAA. Taylor Sacedo to the 60-day IL to make room on the 40-man. We also have a lineup for tonight. Alec Manoa on the hill. Jay's lineup as follows. George Springer. Bo Bichette. Vladimir Guerrero gets a DH day. Alejandro Kirk catches and hits fourth. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Raimel Tapia hits sixth and plays right field. Matt Chapman, Santiago Espinal, and Kevin Biggio rounding it out at first base. Two lefties in the lineup today against Nick Pavetta as the Jays go for the sweep. Should be a fun one. 
Arden, do you get the sense, obviously Vlad was extremely fired up after that walk-off yesterday, that this is our house, the more about the defending your house through the, the translator after the game. There seems to be there a little bit of Vlad taking ownership over this team's success and particularly at home. Do you think that Vlad and those other guys put a lot into this series given the last two weeks haven't been very good and, and they've, you know, the the lead they had on Boston has completely eroded. There have been a couple times over the last week where I've been very impressed with the Blue Jays' resolve. I would go back to the Yankees series, mm -hmm. game three against the Yankees, coming like a game, again, Kikuchi puts them in a massive hole, and they come back from that one in a game that so easily could have just rolled over, said, look, the Yankees are like as hot as the surface of the sun. Let's just get them out of town. Like We'll deal with them later. They're better than us. Came back in that game against the best team in baseball, historically good team. Game three against the White Sox. Game two is that the Doug Eddings game capitalized, right? 66%, whatever it was. Four and a half hours, you know, it's 12 innings. It's late at night. I was there, man. And, and the thing people forget, it was 37 degrees Celsius Ooh. that night. Like not even counting Humidex. And I got much better weather like. in Chicago this weekend than you? you got, by the way. Dude, every day it was like... It was like mid-20s every day? Every day it was like looking into our future 10 years from now where we can't go outside anymore. It yeah. was like that. Um, 10 years might even be generous. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so that it, it was that type of night, right? And just as draining of a loss as you can imagine because not a, like it was you feel like it was taken from you and you put so much physically and emotionally into that game and you have to come back the next day and play a day game you've already dropped the first two of the white Sox, so it would have been so easy to roll over in that day game no Gilmore martinez goes out gets chucked <laughs> and then it's like espinal walk kirk drives them in later in the inning blue jays score nine runs so like Again, you know, Boston, Chicago, New York, the Blue Jays have shown some resolve with their backs up against the wall. They are a, a very thin line from this being a disastrous stretch over the last couple of weeks. If you lose Yeah, those because those White Sox and Yankees games salvaged one game in those series. It avoided mm -hmm. sweeps. That wasn't to steal the series or uh, sweep it. That's uh, You got blanked if you didn't do that. Yes, sir. Game three against the Yankees was like an in-game loss, and game three against the White Sox was, to borrow another like basketball term, a schedule loss. Yeah. So, yeah, that could have been six in a row. And then you're looking at this being like, a, what, like a plus the, you know, two losses to the Orioles. You're looking mm -hmm. at, what, like a three and 12 stretch or something like that. And we're having some very different discussions right now. I think if it had played out that way. Yeah. And look, they took those games and we're still having some pretty, maybe not panic discussions, but discussions that acknowledge the realistic scenario that they have to, they need more. They have to add stuff. Um, we talked about, the bullpen and the options at AAA to maybe fortify the starting rotation over the weekend or, or the guys who are going to be on that kind of up and down uh, squad, something we used to call taxi squad, and now there's a literal taxi squad, yeah. so we can't use the term. For road uh, trips, you get a taxi squad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so now there's like a, well, there's going to be this extra, I don't know, we'll call it the QEW squad or something like that that's <laughs> going Toronto to Buffalo all weekend. Um, there's also... Between now and August 2nd, the Jays will almost surely make a trade or two or three to address some of these weaknesses. Uh, John Morosi reported earlier today that the Jays and Royals could be logical targets. Andrew Benintendi is someone who could maybe upgrade the Rhyme Altapia spot and then you slide Toppy into the Zimmer spot 
or maybe Tapia's outbound in that trade to kind of offset some of the salary jump. Uh, the Royals also have a couple of semi, but not all that interesting relief names. Uh, are where do the Royals rank on when like when you've looked at potential trade partners? Um, I guess before we even get into that, yeah. do you still think an extra left-handed bat like a Benintendi is high on the priority list, or has everything shifted to the pitching side for you? It's like. It depends, right? It depends what prices are. It depends what you can get done. I still think that a really optimal thing to do would be to condense Zimmer and Tapia into one. One player hits left-handed, can play center field, right? Yeah. And that would be a much better use of your roster, and then that would open up another spot that you can do something more interesting with. Because right now, it's not great the way that it's that it's laid out. Um, can you do that with a Benintendi? Can you do that with a Naquin? Could you do that with a Gamble? Could you do that with like Robbie Grossman? Like you've got options out there, right? So like clearly Benintendi is the name that you're going to be hearing a lot leading yeah. up to the deadline. The Hitting Royals. 300, 119 WRC plus so far this year. So right. about 20% better than league average at the dish. I don't know how he's looked as a, as a defender this year, but he's know. only, he hasn't started in center field yet this year. Yeah. So I, I I like Naquin for the Blue Jays, honestly. Okay. Like, he hits the ball hard. He's fast. He plays some center. He's been described to me as an okay defender. Not okay. elite or anything. He's not a Bradley Zimmer um, defender. But he would have been okay. a guy this front office drafted in Cleveland he as well in 2012. That is another reason why. <laughs> is yeah. that they, there is familiarity there. And, uh, yeah, Bradley Zimmer also a Cleveland draftee yeah. too, right? Uh-huh. So we've seen. they uh, They like their guys. Uh, Naquin, by the way, with a, a similar overall production line to Benintendi, but in a very different way. Much more power in place of the OBP and average profile. Yeah, and like, um, I think he could draw a walk too, Naquin, yeah. right? Like, um, I, I also like the idea of going to Seattle and being like, look, you're out of it. Forget it. You got to sell. What about Jesse Winker? Like, hey, he's got a little control. Maybe we'll give you something a little sweeter than what we were going to give up for a Benintendi or an Aquin, right? Like, maybe we'll actually deal with some real prospects here, get a guy with some control who would fit our roster a lot better. Not only control, but it's not an arbitration situation next year. He's already That's already locked in. He gets 7.2 next year, 7.3 this year. It's uh, There's a level of cost certainty there. Um, and again, another guy who the numbers come out the WRC plus comes out almost identical to Naquin's. Um, and again, another guy who the average isn't quite there, but he walks a ton. He doesn't really strike out for a guy with that kind of profile. Um, hits the ball hard, powers down a little bit this year. Yeah, but that seemed like I dug into that a, a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I don't know if it still holds 100%, but some of that's poor fortune, yeah. maybe. Like the the gap between, you know, slugging and expected slugging. Um, I, although... I'm going to hit up one of the Fangraphs guys, I think, at some point to... I want to see if we can find some other variables that affect the gap between slugging and expected slugging. Like, obviously, we know with, like, something that contributes to batting average on balls in play is your speed. Yeah. Maybe there's something about a certain... A way a guy hits that there's a, a gap in slugging and expected slugging. Or on the pitcher side. And I this is front of mind for me because Nick Pavetta has huge... Um, it's actually a really interesting pitching matchup tonight, Manoa and Pavetta, because Manoa has some of the kind of first-generation peripheral metrics that say, well, his ERA won't hold up. He's not missing enough bats. Right. And then all the batted ball stack cast stuff is like, no, this guy's elite at everything except he's not getting a ton of swing and miss this year, but he's getting such weak contact all the time. And Pavetta's almost the opposite, where 
he strikes out enough guys and doesn't really walk many guys. So the FIP and things like that, like him. And then the stack cast stuff is like, well, this guy's been the luckiest guy on the planet. Everything yeah. gets hit on a rope and it just finds gloves. I, I'm very curious if over a larger sample, as we have stack cast for more years, if there's, there are kind of confounding variables with the the gap there and slugging and expected slugging or, or whatever. There are two things on that. One would be I talked to somebody in the game earlier this year who said the expected stats this year haven't really caught up to the differences in environment mm. this year that they were kind of lagging behind and based off of like how the ball was behaving in 21. And or how year. the league was behaving with the balls in 2022 <laughs> exactly. around May 10th. Exactly, right? So, uh, you know, all the changes to the ball, the, you know, spin rates that nobody's really talking about it, but have come back up suspiciously this mm. year. Uh, the way, and everybody's talking about this, the way the differences in the way the ball's flying this year. I think this, the expected stats got a little wonky and got a little, uh, uh, you know, needed to be recalibrated. The other thing with Manoa, and there's no quantifying this, had a conversation with somebody on the road he like is one of the best at making adjustments in game mm. based on how his pitches are working based on what he's seeing from hitters how they're reacting to them on the swings like he will rewrite the game plan in game and if something's not working he's he's like problem solving and he sees it as like a puzzle whereas you say kikuchi if something's not working it's uh oh with alec manoa it's hey I'm going to find my way out of this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to get out of this maze. You know, my, my sinker isn't getting the swings I need to. Okay, what do I need to do differently? Like, what is the counter to this? Like, he goes back to the corner in between rounds and talks to the coach and is like, hey, all right, like, let's, let's throw this now, right? Let's try that because this isn't working. That I, you know, he is very, very good at that. And I don't know that you'll ever be able to quantify something like that. Just as you can't quantify, like we were just watching like Verlander, um, you know, pitching into the eighth, like Scherzer the same way. Those guys on the mound want to rip your throat out. Uh, and there is a mindset and a mentality there that not a lot of pitchers have. You can't quantify that. Yeah. And that gets a lot of guys through days when they don't have their best stuff. Yeah, it's the old Zach Granke thing. It's it's caught up with him now. He's just too old and can't miss bats at all. <laughs> but it's the, yeah, like, oh, what do you mean you're just going to throw a 60-mile-an-hour curveball because your other breaking thing isn't working today? And sometimes you're going to tell me you're about to throw it. Yeah. I, th I always think of Granke when it's like, oh, Gosman's tipping. Oh, Romano's tipping. It's like, yeah, Zach Granke's tipping. He yeah. tells them it's coming. Did and you see the Trout thing yesterday, him. by the way? I did see that. Yeah. From center. Yeah. I don't know who was on the mound. I just saw Trout's reaction. So for anyone who didn't see it, um, Mike Trout's pitcher was tipping. Um, it was Elvis Paguero was tipping. And Mike Trout is like frustrated in the outfield, showing him, look, you're tipping. This is what you're doing with your arm. Uh, not sure it's the From best. 300 feet away being the pitching coach. From 300 feet it. away. There's two things here. <laughs> From 300 feet away to be able to pick that up. And then also, though, to just tell the other team, if the other team hadn't caught it yet, being like, look, this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing. The Angels are probably down eight at that point, so I don't know that he really cares. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, did you ever see the movie Mr. 3000? No. It's a Bernie Mac baseball movie, but okay. he, he comes out of retirement very old, uh, and he obviously is very bad. And at one point, he catches an opposing pitcher tipping, and he's trying to tell the young guys on the team. But at this point, he's just like some random old guy who, who's come back. And then he, like, hits a ground out and is like, I told you, I told you he was tipping. And, like, he guessed it right. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? You ground out, you ground out. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a payoff lesson in the movie. But it is funny of, like, that situation where you tip it off and uh, – they can't do anything with it anyway. Uh, or Trout's like, yeah, they're 
You're tipping it. Um, so yeah, I right. feel like Manoa might just kind of break the expected stats somewhat. Yeah. Which are already somewhat broken this year. Yeah. And I mean, they're just guides anyway, right? They're not, there's a lot, there are guys over time who have been able to outperform their peripherals and, and things like that. And um, if I remember right, Marco Estrada was a big one. Uh, Mark Burley for a little bit there. The, the guys who are kind of, I, I think the guys who fit that mold of like, I'm going to adjust a bunch. And I mean, Estrada only really had the two pitches, but he still had the, I can find my way out of it with, with two pitches that don't get a lot of, don't get a ton of swing and miss it. And you're going to tell me that they're not good. I do think there's got to be a bad Manoa co- outing coming at some point. Like, I mean, I the Yankees one was kind of that. Yeah. A little bit. Right. But yeah. for him, like a bad outing is like five and dive. Right. Yes. Like he I, hasn't gone Shorter than five innings yet. This Isn't year. that wild? Isn't yeah. that crazy for a guy his age, his, you know, his his baseball age in the league too, right? Like it's he's wild. not just young. He's human. just past one year, basically. <laughs> you know, like he hasn't been doing this that long. No. Like what he's doing is remarkable. So you got to tell figure. you this though. If that happens tonight, <laughs> that discussion we just had about how tough the next five days, the next four days are going to be after this one. He, he's mm-hmm. got to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, like the spring training storylines that get stomped on. Remember when it was like, what's Alec Manoa going to be his sophomore season? Can he do it again? Now he's like the ace of the pitching staff. Yeah. It can't. Is Alejandro Kirk going to be on this team? Was a spring training storyline yeah. because at one point, if it was going to be, if it if they weren't going to play him enough, it made sense. Like his development has been so stop and start that it would make more sense for him to be in AAA playing every day than be the third catcher or part-time catcher. Um, obviously, he has... Uh, Objectively, the best hitting catcher in baseball. That's yeah. who we were talking about three months ago. And a top 10 hitter <laughs> in baseball, period. Yeah. Not, and, like, the defensive stuff is there. So I I wanted to ask you about this. We kind of talked about it around the, the five-game and four-day thing. But in general, at some point, if you're the Jays, do you... I know he's been good defensively, but do you have him catch even a little less to so that you can have his bat in the lineup pretty much every day? Depends on your roster configuration. I guess Springer right? and Vlad needing DH days too kind of messes man. it up. Yeah, you know, and other guys are throughout this stretch without an off day. You got one off day before the All-Star break. Other guys going to need days. That's Chapman's going to need a day here somewhere. Hernandez is going to need a day. Gurriel's going to need a day, right? So you need that DH spot. So I kind of think when Danny Jansen's healthy, Gabriel Moreno might be going back to AAA. Is yeah. the thought because I right think that now, makes sense. He's not playing enough. He's just not playing enough. So you want him playing regularly. This isn't what's best for him right now. Yeah. It's great to see him at the big leagues showing off the tools. I think he's a big league caliber catcher today. But I think that Kirk Jansen, Moreno are all healthy. The best thing probably is Moreno goes back to AAA, plays every day, continues to develop, is in a groove, comes back up later this season. September with, call up or whatever. Right? And- with the benefit of having the unfamiliarity of the big leagues lifted from him. So now yeah. he knows the rhythms, he knows the routines and how it works. It's a tough one. I've heard some people counter, well, it's a win now window, so you should have your best players up. It's true, but you also want to win for it. the long haul. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what is the what is the value on a third catcher when there are only, you know, 12 starts in a week between catcher and DH. It's just, it's maybe not enough. No, and Moreno is about, as much as people don't want to talk about this right now, 23, 24, 25. Like, he's about the yeah. future, too. So, I want to hit you with a couple of just rapid-fire ones before we let you go. Sure. Uh, Santiago Espinal, four hits in his last three games after that 1-34 and 34 stretch. Was there anything in that slump that was troubling to you beyond he's just cold? 
no, I wrote about him and now he's hot again. So there you that's, go. That's the ticket. You're welcome. Santiago Espinal. <laughs> no, he stayed in his approach, right? He was just, yeah. he was just slumping, right? It's a slump and it was bad calls from umps too. Mm-hmm. Like he was like yeah. really bad. He Not was getting the settings. full Ben Revere treatment yeah. of uh, how, how is that a strike in this scenario? It wasn't just settings. It's at sports.ca and I gifted all up. Like he's all the bad calls against him. So that's it was brutal. a double whammy, but he's, yeah, he's, you know, just get me to write about him. That's all you need. On the other side, uh, Kevin Biggio has been quite good since coming back up yeah. from AAA. Um, is there any chance he can continue to chip into playing time anywhere? Or is he going to stay in this kind of tenth man rotating? Role? This is where he's. This is where he's best, right? Yeah, like, I think so. Part time role, filling in. You know, Springer DH day. Like Biggio's going to look. You're going to see him in center at some point. Like it's going to happen. I know <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. He's going to get a center field rep here somewhere. <laughs> the the- Vote of no confidence in Brian Maltapia in center field is hilarious. <laughs> Otto Lopez, sure. Yeah, oh yeah. No, and the hilarious behind-the-scenes story of that is that Charlie didn't even, he doesn't know Otto Lopez that well. Yeah. Asked Gil Kim on the bench, hey, can Otto Lopez play center? Gil said yes. Out he went. Yeah. He's it. played some in the minors, but like not a lot. No. Uh, and Gil is just like, yeah, he can play center. Yeah. Boom, you're out there. Uh, all right. Ideal bullpen target. You can have anyone that's going to be on the market realistically who's your guy bard off the top of my okay. head i guess I'm trying to think bednar bednar would be pretty nice yeah bednar's a good yeah bednar would be nice anybody with swing and miss in velo really yeah you've, you've got the whole con soft you contact thing down <laughs> you can get your your weak ground ball or your fly ball you you need to miss some bats here bednar's such a tough one because he's still on the he's only making 715k so how do you how do you bait the pirates into yeah. doing that it's the same thing with uh, Salser with uh, with the Orioles, right? Yeah, like, you got to like really pry him away. Although the Orioles have a lot of guys, I know, but so. they're trying to be good now. I know, right? So they're, they're gonna hang on to some of those guys. As I'm fond of saying, they are in that in between between being really bad and finally good. It's they're in the annoying phase. They're yeah. not going to win a ton of games, but they're going to take one or two off you every series, and they're going to make it really difficult for you. Dude, the AL East is on fire right now. You look at historic Yankees yeah. team, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays all bunched up. Have and four playoff teams. We're going to have to add a, a fourth <laughs> wild card just to be fair to the AL East. Orioles are annoying now. It's a great division. It's great. Uh, it's been great to have you on, Arden. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. When we come back, Doug Fox of Future Blue Jays helps us run through. I mean, Arden and I did it last segment. Uh, not a lot of exciting names at AAA to potentially help the Jays rotation or bullpen this year. But what about in the future? Who's next up? Could things look different in 2023? That's next with Doug Fox on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It's a little song called The Future Freaks Me Out by Motion City Soundtrack. Future Blue Jays, though, does not freak me out. That's Doug Fox. He does excellent, excellent work over at Future Blue Jays on Twitter and futurebluejays.com. Before we get to Doug, though, a little mea culpa. We're talking with Arden Zwelling that whole last hour about this five-game and four-day series with the Tampa Bay Rays that the Jays have ahead. I didn't know. I got to get my hands on a schedule or something like that. Arden is on the call with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network for all five of those games. He's here. He's here talking about, oh, well, the bullpen's going to be overtaxed and and you, you might have to call these guys up from AAA and things like that. Arden's getting lots of experience uh, doing the call next to Ben Wagner all weekend. Uh, so make sure you keep an ear out 
for Arden and Ben together on the Sportsnet Radio Network, five and four days. I, uh, I'm i not working any of those games. I'm going to be visiting family, sitting in the sun, listening to the game on the radio, on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, big question mark, though, as to who we're going to see in the other game on Saturday. Kevin Gosman will start one of them if the rotation stays the same. Someone from Triple H is probably coming up. Doug Fox from Future Blue Jays would know those options better than just about anyone. Doug, how are you, man? Matt, I'm great, and I think I know I know about as well as you do at this point. It's a toss-up. <laughs> um, okay, so before we get into those, I, I know I teased that as the, the segment here, but I want to ask you about uh, a guy. Eric Pardino made his first appearance in, uh, like, proper season ball in nearly three years today. Uh, what's the status on Eric Pardino? I feel like I haven't heard that name in, well, three years since, since August 2019 when we last saw him. August 7th, 2019, he uh, he was removed from a game in Lansing. He'd been having some elbow issues prior to then. Went underwent Tommy John surgery uh, just before spring training, I believe, in 2020. He's had a rocky road with his rehab. He did pitch a couple of times in the complex league. And then yesterday was his his first appearance in the... um, in uh, in the Florida State League, I'm just looking, calling up his numbers here. Um, not great with the velo, but that's to be expected. He topped out at 93, um, uh, or actually, sorry, he topped out at 92. That's to be expected, uh, I guess. He did have two clean innings, and the plan for him now, uh, at least like I would imagine for the rest of the season, is probably to to have him come in and release pitch two innings maybe three innings uh, later towards the end of the season and uh and see how he feels in between those appearances before he goes again so pitching maybe twice a week but he certainly is a, a long way off from that top prospect status and at this point we're interested to see what he does but we really can't consider him in the picture anymore no offense doug but when you talk about an oft injured pitcher and you're saying well we're going to try him in a bulk relief role and uh give him lots of rest between appearances uh, that's that's fresh in my mind from the Nate Pearson thing, and I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, Eric Pardino was a top 100 prospect on some rankings prior to the 2019 season. He's still just 21, but this is Rule 5 decision year, so it'll be interesting to see how he looks in the bullpen and if he can. Uh, this was a guy who originally was supposed to be on a quickish timeline to the majors uh, because he had some polish and he had a couple different pitches he could control. That'll be an interesting one uh, to track. Doug, I want to ask you about another guy following a similar path to what you'd hope Pardino might take, and that's Josefer Zulueta, who's now up at double-A. Um, he's, I believe, in his Rule 5 decision year as well. He's missed a fair amount of time. Um, he's a starter right now, but is that a guy you could see continuing to rocket through the minors this year, given his advanced age for that level? And I think that they they have the Rule 5 decision on him this year. He's an interesting story. I'm not surprised he's, he's at double A, and, and it certainly they're sticking him in there, I think possibly with an eye towards a bullpen uh, appearance later this summer. But they they want to answer some questions about how well he does at the higher level. And mm-hmm. as much as his velocity is, is lights out, he, you know, fastball that tops out at 99 with late life and, and a two-seamer with some ridiculous movement, still to me, and, and I've seen a fair amount of him since he's come to Vancouver, um, inconsistent with his curveball and holding runners on is not one of his strengths. And I, and I mean, I think if you think looking at a guy in a bullpen role, I'm not sure, 
that that's a quality you want to have. I think he remains a starter for now, um, at least to build him up more than anything. That makes sense to me. And I guess you kind of let the results dictate from here. So I want to, Doug, I want to ask you that there's, this organization doesn't lack for starting pitching depth, but they do lack a little bit for Major League Ready starting pitching depth. And we look, I, I just spoke to Arden Welling for um, a good chunk of, of the show looking at, well, what the heck are they going to do this weekend in terms of calling guys up and sending guys down to keep the bullpen fresh? I'm coming up with scenarios where uh, they they ask Matt Gage to play first base, so technically he can be a player uh, and not a pitcher, and then... And then pitching a blowout. Um, but we've seen most of the AAA guys this year. The Jays have gone through 19 different relievers. The Bisons have used, I think, 17 different starters. And we've seen the likes of Castillo, Lawrence, Anderson. Um, we know what guys like Allgaier, Holland, Biagini, KR. Um, Arden thinks Thomas Hatch is the guy who's going to get the call on Saturday. Do you have a, a guy from that Bisons kind of I don't even know if you'd call it a rotation since everyone kind of pitches a couple innings just here and there. But is there a name on that list that you, if I said, Doug, who are you most confident can give you five innings on Saturday? Is there a name atop that list? Yeesh. Um, <laughs> so so that's Casey, a yeesh. Casey, Casey Lawrence, uh, Thomas Hatch has had an up and down season, um, an up and down June, mostly down. And I, I almost think we're throwing in the towel in the second game if, if Hatch starts. Casey Lawrence still pitched five innings on Tuesday and actually got roughed up a little bit uh, in his last inning for the, just about the first time this season. So there are not a ton of options. I know they don't want to put Max Castillo in uh, in that kind of high leverage situation, but I don't know. Uh, when you consider the other options, I, I think by default he is the guy that I would be considering. You might not have a choice. Someone's someone's got to do it, and it could just be, you know, uh, it takes a village, and everyone's going to come up and down uh, a bunch. Things aren't quite as negative or, or as dire when you look at the longer-term outlook of this organization's pitching depth. And we we thought entering this year that that wouldn't really be a question anytime soon. They had Hyunjin Ryu under contract through next year. They had signed Kikuchi to a multi-year deal, Barrios to a long-term extension. Manoa is, of course, young. And then the Kevin Gosman deal. Um, Hyunjin Ryu is probably not going to be a part of this in 2023. Who knows where the Yusei Kikuchi things goes. But say the Jays look internally for starting pitching help either late this season or, or heading into next year to take that Ryu spot. Um, are there guys who are getting close-ish to the majors who are more interesting than what's at AAA right now? Uh, close-ish would be the word. I, I certainly wouldn't use the word close. Um, mm. Buffalo, Buffalo's uh, pitching staff has been a cast of thousands, as you, as you referred to. Um, New Hampshire, there, there are some, some arms of promise there. There's a, a guy I know we've talked about before, Hayden Younger, who um, Ganger, sorry, is how you pronounce his name, uh, who has been a starter, but they view him more as a bulk guy. Uh, possibly for next year. As far as starters go, I mean, you're you're looking at maybe a Zulueta, or you're you're reaching down. The obvious name everybody asks about is, is Ricky Tiedemann <laughs> uh, at High A. But I mean, we've got to be looking at he won't be 20 until August, and and we really have to to temper our expectations for him. So there is really 
there's no short-term, short to even possibly medium-term help on the horizon for the rotation as far as I'm concerned, which kind of brings me back once again to Max Castile. He's probably been the most consistent pitcher prior to, to being called up in the organization, and, and he's a guy that you probably have to consider at the back of your rotation at some point for, for the next little while. In terms of specifics beyond just the stats, what have you seen from Castillo this year that gives you more confidence that that he's a guy now? Because he wasn't really on the prospect radar, and until he had racked up a a good number of starts with pretty strong numbers, it didn't seem anyone was really noticing. Uh, What's changed in Castillo's approach, whether or not we've seen it at at the major league level yet? He's, uh, He's definitely added a bit of velo. Uh, which I mean helps helps the secondary pitches and and the word that I have is that he's really drastically improved is his uh, in between starts routine uh, maybe taking his conditioning a little bit more seriously and, and I mean he's always been a pounder of the strike zone and uh, and I, I can't remember if we've talked about this one or not but you know in this day and age we don't pay as much attention to wins but he's led every league he's pitched in and wins I think since 2018 and that. That speaks at least to his ability to, to soak up some innings. So he's always been that guy who can hang in there for you in, in, um, in a game. And, and now I think because he's, he's refined his command, he's refined his pitches, and he's added some velocity, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great story. And that's why he's kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, this year to be that guy. Look, Doug, the ability to soak up innings is just about the most valuable skill you could have as a pitcher in the Blue Jays organization right now. So uh, that's that's great to hear. And again, the numbers are, are pretty pretty eye popping, and he hasn't struggled to miss bats in his, his five innings in the majors so far. Uh, there's a name you mentioned that we asked you about him last time you were on uh, Jays Talk Plus as well, but. Ricky Tiedemann is not slowing down. This is a 19-year-old who it's his first pro ball season, uh, dominant at A over six starts, even more dominant at high A over six starts, an ERA under one, and a seven-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio uh, at high A. How do how do the Jays proceed with Ricky Tiedemann where the results are obviously so striking but he is just 19 how do you how do you balance those two things you proceed very very carefully okay uh, i think the, the the roadside is littered with young pitchers who were were rushed uh i just saw prior to uh to coming on with you jack Leiter has been placed on texas's developmental list to, uh, to skip a start or possibly two because he has uh, some mild arm fatigue and this is the time of year when that happens um Tiedemann himself zulueta has gone through it as well uh, Sam Robursa, another uh, very good pitching prospect at Vancouver, is kind of uh, coming out the other side of that right now. But with, with Tiedemann, we have to remember his age. We have to remember his inexperience and as excited as we want to be about him striking out guys left, right, and center at, at A-ball. We kind of have to see what he does at the higher level, whether that's that's this year or, or next year, who knows. But the Blue Jays, I mean, they... And I did write about it on my last notebook. They they have changed their model of development where where Nate Pearson, partially because of of when he came into the system with uh, with the June draft and, and everything else, they they monitor his innings very closely. Some people think too much so, and, and Tiedemann, because he didn't pitch in his fr- um, first year after being drafted, has had a little bit of a longer leash. But it'll just it'll be interesting to see what he does at the next level, whether it's this year or next. And, and my advice to Blue Jays fans is just temper your expectations because there will be some bumps in the road. 
he's learning how to pitch sometimes when he doesn't have his best uh, stuff. I think we had, we had talked about that uh, two starts ago. He was getting squeezed a little bit and maybe didn't have his command, but just give him some time. 20 years old in August is my bottom line with this guy. Uh, someone who I didn't do a good job tempering expectations with was Adrian Hernandez, and he didn't get the call up. He didn't get the 40-man ad over and over again. Now he's given up three home runs in his last four appearances. Uh, are people catching up to that, or is that just a, a blip you, th- you think Hernandez can uh, find his way through? Let's face it, as much as we love that uh, <laughs> screwball with the change-up grip, uh, it, it, it is a bit of a novelty pitch, and I don't know if it's the second time through the league thing or, or hitters catching on to it. Um, but the, the Blue Jays, uh, the Bisons, for that matter, too, have to be very judicious in how they use them um, because they've got a limited appearance and limited exposure with that pitch because he doesn't have premium velocity. I mean, he locates his fastball well, and he has had an increase in, in velocity since he came into the system, but... You know, maybe when he didn't call up, the, you know, the player development people know what they're doing. And maybe there was either something in his performance or in his numbers, his metrics that were saying, oh, not so fast. But, yeah, we, you know, pitching, relief pitching especially is such an up and down thing. And, and Hernandez is maybe a little bit on that, that down cycle now. I still would love to see that pitch in the big leagues. But there, there's the downside. He can give up some contact. It seems that way, yeah. And my, my thing has always been uh... – if, if guys are going to catch up to it eventually, well, <laughs> have them catch up to it. Like, get some of those uh, at the major league level before uh, before guys catch up to it. But um, that's okay. Pitching prospects have to work through some stuff. I know we mostly brought you on to talk about the pitching depth, but you also have an article that just went up at futurebluejays.com looking at five breakout hitters uh, within the Jays organization. You can talk about any of the five. You, you, you take your pick. But I kind of hope you pick Samad Taylor because the first stolen base, the first like volume stolen base threat the Jays have had in forever would be fun to me. I I love the stolen base. I understand why it doesn't get used a lot. Um, tell me Samad Taylor's closer or uh, whichever of your five breakout hitters you're you're most passionate about. Uh, I think now with uh, with the struggles of Aurelvis Martinez. Uh, and to some extent, Jordan Groshans just having trouble showing some pop in the ascension of, of Gabriel Moreno. I would call Samad Taylor possibly, I, I wouldn't consider him a top prospect, but I would call him the player closest to being league ready in, in the organization. And I think it's only been uh, a little bit of the resurgence of Kevin Biggio, who, who offers him a bat from the left-hand side that's standing in Taylor's way right now. And, and the Blue Jays have a decision to make on him. Nobody took him. Uh, well, of course, there was no Rule 5, but if he's left exposed to any type of Rule 5 draft, this uh, this fall, then the Blue Jays are going to lose him. So they've got some decisions to make on him soon. You mentioned Jordan Groshans there. I actually have a listener question from Akash in Mississauga who asks uh, asks me, but I'm going to kick it to you. Would you be willing to trade Groshans for a controllable closer like a Bednar or Scott Barlow? Um, you don't have to, to answer on those names, Doug, but is Groshans, in terms of your where you put him in the system and where you value him, is he too big a chip to dangle for relief help or is that kind of right in the zone you think his value might be oh flags fly forever yeah that's that that that's what i say um uh great kid great work ethic wish i wish we could see some more pop from him but uh, i think you have to consider just about anybody not named tiedemann in that system right now untouchable 
Yeah. Or a touchable, a touchable. I was going to say, I was going to say, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're all touchable. You can have them all if it helps the Jays uh, win this year. And hey, if any rival teams are listening, futureBlueJays.com. You can find out everything you need to know uh, about the guys in the Jays system. Doug Fox, Future Blue Jays on Twitter. Thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon. Thanks for having me, man. Have a good day. You too, Doug. Uh, Doug Fox, futureBlueJays.com. Pretty valuable resource for Jays fans. Uh, keeps you pretty up to date on a lot of stuff via Twitter and, and then some deeper dives on his website as well, futurebluejays.com. Your future could have a Toronto Blue Jays prize pack in it. If you're spending your long Canada Day weekend in the city, well, so are your Toronto Blue Jays. You can celebrate Canada Day by cheering on Canada's team at the ballpark all weekend, featuring a rare split doubleheader on Saturday versus the division rival Tampa Bay Rays, we're giving away a Jays prize pack, which includes awesome Jays merch and four tickets to Saturday's 6 p.m. game. All you have to do is text the code word to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Canada. So text that code word to 59590. Code word is Canada. And you'll be entered for a chance to win a Jays prize pack that includes merch and four tickets to Saturday's 6 p.m. game. If you don't win, hey, Sportsnet has you covered on TV. Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling have you covered on the Sportsnet Radio Network. But text that code word, Canada, to 59590. Uh, hope you win. Let us know if uh, if you're the person who does win and how that goes for you. It's very, it's a little amusing to me because I know Blair and Barker do giveaways too. So I've got the text line open here. And uh, there are texts in for multiple different contexts, contests at once. I'm also trying to keep an eye on uh, your listener questions um so you can send those into 590 590 as well we're gonna take a break when we come back and talk to Brittany donaldson co-founder of strata athletics uh, former raptors and 905 coach someone with uh, a longtime baseball fandom and quite a lot of experience on the team and service provider side in terms of actuarial science and data uh gonna see gonna gonna discuss player development and how data can help with that at both the youth level and at the minor league and major league level, how we can close some of the gaps um, and what maybe we can learn from the basketball side or what basketball can learn from the baseball side. Uh, Brittany does it all. That's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That song there by a Canadian artist named Chad Price. Check them out. If you're curious about the music we play on Jay's Talk Plus, you can always check out my Spotify as well. Put it all in the big playlist over there. Uh, e. Blake Murphy or just search Jay's Talk Plus. Thanks to Derek behind the glass for always hooking us up. Joining us now, co-founder of Strat Athletics, former Raptors coach, former 905 coach, current coaching development director and assistant coach for the Hamilton Honey Badgers, our Hamilton Honey Badgers of the CEBL, Brittany Donaldson. Brittany, how are you? Blake, so good to be here. Thanks for having me, and a big fan of that song you were just playing. Yeah, I, I thought you might be. I thought you might be a Chad Price <laughs> fan. Um, so, Hamilton Honey Badgers, what do you do? You feel a little bit like Lucas Nogueira is a, a traitor to you personally now that he's playing with Guelph? 
You know, I was uh, I had mixed emotions about that that signing. Um, obviously, uh, Lucas loved the guy, um, had a great relationship with him in Toronto. But I don't know if I'm excited to play against him. Not gonna lie, but uh, it should be a fun one tomorrow. We got him tomorrow night at 7 p.m. So awesome! Uh, look forward to that one, um, Brittany. Most people know you as a basketball person. Obviously, you played collegiately. You were an assistant coach with the Raptors and the 905 and the Honey Badgers, and um, you're the co-founder of Strat Athletics. But you are also a pretty big baseball fan. I, I'm curious, growing up in Iowa, how do you become a Red Sox fan initially? <laughs> Good question. I get this question a lot. Um, really, it was, it was just my dad. You know, we, we don't have a professional team in Iowa, as you probably assume. Um, <laughs> So, you know, NBA, I mean, every sport, we had to sort of go outside of the Midwest to find our, our favorite team and what happened to be playing on TV all the time um, in the baseball world was the Red Sox and the Yankees. So I think my dad just, you know, he grew up watching that rivalry, and I think he, he clinged himself to the Red Sox. I don't really know the full story behind why, but um, that's, that's who he chose, and then that's sort of what I grew into. So um, it was really just a childhood thing, a fandom coming from my dad. You've been in Toronto a few years now. Have you, has your dad come to a Jays game? He has. You know, I think okay. he's only been up a few times, but he, he has uh, come to a Jays game. He, he likes seeing baseball no matter where it is. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he enjoyed that one. I was thinking a little bigger than that. I was thinking, well, his daughter lives in Toronto now. Maybe, maybe you nudge him to being a Jays fan. Have, have the Jays done a, a pretty good job of, of winning you over as a fan? You know, it's funny. I, I don't know if I'm proud of this, but my, my baseball fandom has kind of um, ebbed and flowed over the years. As far as, you know, whatever, whatever team I'm watching the most at that time. So as a kid, I was watching a lot of the Red Sox. I got an opportunity to go to some Red Sox games with my dad as a kid, you know, had, you know just, just loved the Red Sox. And then kind of transitioned after school. I lived in Chicago for a couple of years, you know, lived 10, 15 minute walk from Wrigley Field. So um, transitioned into being a, a sort of a bandwagon Cubs fan. Doesn't hurt that they won the World Series <laughs> as well. When I was, um, and then, yeah, now since being in Toronto for the last five years, you know, when I was working in the NBA, I unfortunately didn't have a lot of time to watch baseball games. But over the last year or so, I've been, I've been watching a lot of baseball games. Uh, my partner is a big Blue Jays fan, so we've been having the games on a lot. And actually, we're only a 10, 15-minute walk now from, from Rogers Center, so we actually go to quite a few games ourselves. So, you know, I think they are winning me over. This team is, is really, really fun to watch. So uh, a sweep tonight locks it in. Alec Manoa shuts down the Red Sox. Jays sweep the series. Brittany Donaldson's officially a Jays fan. Can, can we lock that in on the show? I think you can. You know, <laughs> I think you can. I'll say it here. It's funny. We're actually, I'm going to Boston in a few weeks to see the, the series um, in Boston, Toronto, Boston. Oh, awesome. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. But I was at the game last night, and that uh, Vladdy walk-off was sure fun to see. Yeah, that's a good one. I, basketball needs a version of the dump the water on someone after, like, a walk-off somehow. I don't, I don't know logistically how that would work, but we got to find a way. I agree. I agree. So, Brittany, you went to school for actuarial science, and post-grad, you went to Stats, Inc., and... I'm curious. I, I know that basketball is what you played the most and, and you have that connection with your, with your dad as well. And you played collegiately. Um, but from a pure data perspective, I, when I think of it, you know, I, my mind goes to baseball first. Um, did you give any consideration to that or, or did you um, like, as you were figuring out your career path post playing, 
Um, did you did you look at more than just basketball with your the skill set you you developed? Absolutely. I actually I have a spreadsheet because this is how my brain works. I have yes. a spreadsheet of uh, jobs that I applied for straight out of college, um, and who rejected me, and who got back to me, and and whatever. And um, I would actually, I I I can tell you that ninety percent of the jobs I applied for were in baseball. Um, and I, I just had a deep interest in combining my actuarial science statistics background with any sort of sports related. I didn't care if it was media. I didn't care if it was soccer, baseball, football. It didn't matter. Um, but at the time, it was, you know, a few years after Moneyball had come out, this hmm. baseball sports analytics revolution was happening. Every single team in the MLB wanted, you know, statisticians, data analysts on their staff. And so I applied for a ton of baseball jobs. Unfortunately, didn't hear back from many of them, but... You know, I, I actually was intending to work in baseball. Unbelievable that look, look at look at you now and look at what they must be thinking. What what a whiff on <laughs> on the part of those baseball teams. Um, so you end up you go to stats and and then you join the Raptors on the analytics team first and then later on the coaching side and then the G League side. How has that experience shifted your view of another sport like baseball, like having been on the front office and coaching side? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, kind of like I just mentioned, you know, baseball is always from a from a data perspective and an analytics perspective. It seems like they've always been ahead of the, the curve. Um, so especially like roster construction, you know, Moneyball again um, <laughs> using data to optimize on roster construction. So in my time in the front office, like I got you know very much exposed to to that line of thinking um, in the NBA, and then. Moving over to the coaching staff, you know, I realized like, oh, like there's this whole other area of, of, you know, building a team and optimizing on the players you have, like in player development where you can use data to, um, yeah, develop the players you already have as well as optimize the players that you're trying to get on the roster. So baseball is also ahead of the curve in that area. I think, you know, like baseball does a really good job um, individual player development, both in season and out of season, using different technologies and data to um, develop the players that are already on the roster. So it's interesting. Like I actually, I, I take a lot of um, from from baseball, even in my youth sports program with Strata Athletics. Like I, I learn a lot from what baseball is doing, especially around player development. So you are the co-founder of Strata Athletics, and I wanted to get into that line of questioning. So I'm glad you you took us there. Um, I, I guess just at a, first at a high level, I, I know this is a baseball show and it's a basketball company, but give us kind of the elevator pitch of what you guys are trying to do with Strata Athletics. Yeah, so we are currently just a basketball program. We, we do want to be multi-sport at some point, so I'm, I'm hoping to get some, some baseball into our programming sooner than later. But essentially we're, we see this trend in youth sports, especially in the United States, especially in North America, um, where, where kids are dropping out of sport by the time they're in high school. About 70% of kids stop playing sports by the time they reach high school. And, and we just think that number is way too high. And for the wrong reasons, um, we're seeing a lot of the reasons kids are dropping out is due to misguided coaching, too much pressure to perform. It's too expensive. Um, and as we know, like so many life and leadership skills can be gained through playing sports as a kid. And so um, we're trying to flip that on its head at Strata Athletics and, and make it accessible, um, you know, make it so that it's fun and engaging and flip the focus 
back to learning and development and away from, you know, performance and, and being ranked as a 10-year-old and playing in 100 tournaments a year. And, you know, it's, it's, it's getting a little bit out of control. So we're really trying to, to solve all those problems in one, um, but it starts with making it fun again, making it accessible. In terms of expanding beyond basketball, where do you see the overlap in basketball and baseball from a youth development and how do we improve access to to the sport and to, you know, whether it's through tech feedback or or just um, more empathetic and hands-on coaching? Like, like obviously, they're very different sports, but do you see our approach to basketball and baseball needing to go in the same direction and a lot of what you're doing for one being applicable to the other? Yeah, we actually, we really encourage our athletes to be uh, multi-sport athletes. We think there's a ton of translation from one sport to the other um, and also just avoiding burnout and injury by just doing the same thing all year. Um, so that's one reason. The other one is you kind of hit on it. You know, if, if you are in a program where you have the same coaches using the same terminology as far as like, you know, your approach to the game, how you want to be a leader, communicate, using eye contact with your coaches, all these sort of like intangible skills. If you're under the same umbrella and you have that continuity throughout the whole year, rather than just, you know, a single baseball season or a single basketball season, you can go from sport to sport to sport and still have these sort of lessons, you know, instilled into your programming. Um, We just think, the the you know area for development it grows that much larger um so yeah there's like obviously a little technical things that are going to be very different from sport to sport but your overall approach to the game how you treat your teammates um how you you know handle coaching how you handle failure and mistakes like all of those things are very very transferable across sports do you think there's even more opportunity on the baseball side given i mean you mentioned earlier how far ahead baseball has been in terms of using data and technology on the player development side. I I know you're talking more about um, a youth level before you'd maybe want to get into that kind of stuff, but, but thinking a a higher level up or or an age group or two up um, the amount of data baseball provides us, whether it's, you know, spin rates and break or how hard you hit the ball and the way you hit the ball and things like that. um, Is that something that, that excites you? And when you look at, you know, everything you've done on the basketball side, hey, this would be really cool to, to try on the baseball side too. Oh, it excites me a lot. Um, I think baseball, specifically with, with pitchers and batters, they have some really cool stuff they can use. You know, biomechanically, they have these really high-tech cameras set up with multi-angles and um, they can slow them down and, and like literally have data on what was the angle of your wrist when you let go of the ball and like all these other really cool things that give you immediate feedback, you know, each repetition so that you can make those adjustments as you're training between each repetition. And I just think that's like, you know, crucial feedback to have um, alongside a coach being there with you, giving you that information. So I'm, I've, I've been trying to like mm. see the parallels like, but something in basketball that, you know, shooting is probably the closest thing you can get to in basketball to use that same information in the same way. But baseball, man, has some really, really cool, you know, data-driven um, insights that they use player development-wise. And, and I'm, I'm trying to learn more and more about it every day. We, we could try to use spin rate for basketball, but Fred Van Vliet's going to break it with that little weird <laughs> thumb side spin he puts on his threes. So, Yeah, that's right. He's a unique one in that aspect. Um, all right, Brittany, before we let you go, uh, Sox Jays tonight, Alec Manoa against Nick Pavetta. I know you said if the Jays sweep, uh, maybe you're a full-time Jays fan now. 
prediction for the game? I mean, I got to go with the Jays for the sweep. I love me a good sweep. Um, is that, do you need like a score? No, 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 like- no. I just needed you to pop the listener. Just a Toronto show. We just, we just try to make all the guests say the Jays are going to win. That's right. Well, I got you there. I'm going with the Jays. All right. That sounds great. Um, Brittany, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, good luck against Lucas Noguera and, and Guelph uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, right? It's tomorrow, right? Yes. That's right. Yeah, the Hamilton Honey Badgers continue in action against the Guelph Nighthawks tomorrow. Uh, and keep up all the great work at Strat Athletics. Um, really appreciate you taking the time, Brittany. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Brittany Donaldson, a former Raptors and 905 coach, uh, Hamilton Honey Badgers, former Raptors uh, analytics analyst, um, and co-founder of Strat Athletics. Check them out. They're doing a lot of cool stuff at the startup level that I think is going to have a lot of applicability to baseball. Um, I think it goes hand in hand, you know, on the fan morning show, we've talked to Chris Versteeg about his clever app for um, hockey development and making coaching more accessible. Uh, I think as we look for more ways to keep sports accessible for everyone and also develop the best possible athletes we can, I, I think that, these companies that take a, a more empathetic and holistic approach to um, teaching and, and coaching and player development are going to be at the forefront of, of some really important stuff. So uh, check out Strat Athletics, check out Brittany Donaldson's uh, work. And Hey, if you're in, uh, if you're in the region, check out that Hamilton honey badgers, Guelph Nighthawks game. I don't know. Maybe uh, I wonder if the Kitchener Panthers are home this weekend when I'm, when I'm home, wouldn't mind a little, a uh, little bit of local, Baseball, a little IBL action. The Jays go for the sweep tonight. I put Brittany in a tough spot saying, you got to pick, you got to pick. Um, but of course she's going to pick the Jays. It's Alec Manoa on the hill against Nick Pavetta. Let's take a look through the lineups here, and then we'll get into some of the some of the lines for tonight, as well as how Manoa and Pavetta match up against the opposing teams. We read you the Jays lineup a little earlier, but let's uh, let's refresh you here. George Springer leads off, plays center field. Bobochet, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting a DH day. Alejandro Kirk catches Alec Manoa and hits fourth. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Rymel Tapia in right as Teoscar Hernandez gets the day off. Matt Chapman, Santiago Espinal, and Kevin Biggio rounds it out at first base. Two lefties in the lineup against Pavetta in Tapia and Biggio. Here's what you're looking at from Nick Pavetta, and he's a bit of a fascinating one because he's somewhat of a litmus test for how much we put into this stack cast data and things like expected outcomes based on batted ball data because Nick Pavetta has a 325 ERA so far. Most of the kind of first-generation component metrics, things like fielding independent pitching, agree that he should have a sub-4 ERA. Strikes out about a quarter of the batters he faces, only a walk rate of 8%. That's all great. He also has big spin rates. If you care about that kind of thing, as fastballs, curveball, a lot of spin. That's good. It makes it harder to hit usually. However, he's below average in just about every metric we have in terms of quality of contact, hard hit balls. Can you get swing and misses to get yourself out of trouble? So he's a guy, you look through his StatCast page, and there's there are large gaps between what's actually happened and what we'd expect to happen. What we were talking about with Arden Zwelling a little earlier is, well, do you have some control over that? 
can certain types of pitchers manage that? Can have have we just not, you know, are we too early in these kind of stats to learn exactly what creates those gaps and and how much control a hitter or a pitcher has over them? We'll see tonight. Uh, I thought Michael Walker was primed for regression yesterday. It looked like it was heading that way. Jay's bats stalled out a little bit until the end, but not a bad start all around. Here's what they're looking at from Nick Pavetta. He throws a 93-mile-an-hour fastball, and he throws about 54% of the time. Wide range of velocity on that fastball. He's kind of all over the place. He'll also catch a lot of the plate, but he's been pretty deceptive with it. Opponents are only hit, have a 304 slugging average, uh, slugging percentage against it, and a 467 expected slugging. So again, that's where we talk about the results not matching uh, what we'd expect based on the batted ball. So if you're looking at this fastball, 93 miles an hour, uh, he throws it more than half the time. It's, it's going to be over the plate a fair amount of time. How hasn't it been hit hard? Well, it has been hit hard. It just hasn't resulted in uh, a lot of runs for opponents. Now, part of that, might be that he also throws a 77-mile-an-hour curveball 27% of the time. Has great spin. Uh, the results haven't been elite, but they've been pretty good. And the big thing with that curveball is that's we're talking 16 miles an hour of separation off the fastball, and he tunnels those two pitches extremely well together. So it can be tough to pick up until late out of his arm, which is which. And then obviously at the break on a curveball and 16 miles an hour of velocity difference, uh, is going to get you off balance a little bit. Uh, he'll also mix in an 85-mile-an-hour slider. Has a pretty poor swing and miss rate by the standard of a slider, but it is his best out pitch. Uh, and then he'll throw an occasional changeup that has gotten hammered for the most part, which is why that's an occasional changeup. Uh, you may remember that while the Jays' bats were struggling in April, they got to Nick Pavetta for, four, for five runs over four innings. That's a... Uh, that's encouraging. The bats weren't very hot at that point. As a whole, the Jays have 131 plate appearances against Pavetta. 359 expected weighted on base average, which is pretty good. Boba in particular has smashed Pavetta over 21 plate appearances. Monster numbers. We're talking over a 400 batting average, 800 slugging. He has been very good in 21 plate appearances against Pavetta. George Springer, Kevin Biggio, Vlad Guerrero Jr. all have pretty good samples against him as well. So that's the Jays' side of things. If you're a believer in the StatCast data, in hard-hit balls being pretty predictive of what's to come, and maybe Nick Pavetta being a little fortunate so far, and if you put a lot of stock into recent meetings between a lineup and a pitcher, you probably like the Jays' offensive environment tonight. Here's how the Red Sox lineup opposite Alec Menor, Rob Snyder, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Alex Verdugo, Christian Vasquez, Franchi Cordero, Yolmer Sanchez, and Jackie Bradley Jr. rounds it out in center field. We know that Alec Manoa has dealt with some platoon splits always, but especially this year. Righty's hitting just 151 against them, an OBP under 200, and an OPS under 450. The lefty side of things has trended in the right direction other than that Yankees game 263 average 326 OBP uh, 689 OPS so this is a case of he's 
okay against lefties and he's dominant against righties. That's not a bad thing to have, but that's why the Red Sox have stuffed their lineup with lefties today to try to take advantage of that. Again, Devers is in there. Verdugo's in there. Jackie Bradley Jr. is in there. Freddie Cordero's in there. And Yolmer Sanchez is a switch hitter. So that's five guys that'll hit from the left side against Manoa. That has mattered in general against Manoa. Not necessarily against the Sox, though. He has 51 plate appearances against this team. Alex Verdugo's the only one that's has any kind of outlier performance against Manoa. And even that's a pretty small sample size. It's a lot of small samples stacked up. Um, and it's been, they've been good overall. Manoa's had a good time against the Red Sox. Uh, Manoa again, nine and two, 205 ERA, six plus innings on an average start. And he hasn't gone fewer than five yet. Like Pavetta, he has some questions as to, does he have good fortune or is he just managing his, like controlling his own fortune? In a different way than Pavetta, because Manoa has elite batted ball profile. Guys are not getting good contact off of him. We talked to Arden Zwelling about it earlier, and he thinks a lot of that has to do with Manoa's ability to change his game plan on the fly, feel out what's working, what's not working, and um, battle through. Some of the pitching metrics would suggest Manoa's do some regression because he doesn't have quite the strikeout the walk profile and bat missing profile of a guy with a 205 ERA to which you might say, well, Manoa's shown he can miss bats. He's just being more efficient this year and pitching more to weak contact. It's not that he can't miss bats. It's not that he hasn't struck people out. Um, that's just been how the season has played out for him. And boy, as the Jays uh, rotation needed him and the Jays bullpen needed him to eat up innings. So that's how the lineups stack up head-to-head. The Jays got to four Boston relievers yesterday. Uh, Tyler Danish threw 22 pitches. I don't know if he'll be available on this one. Uh, John Schreiber, Hansel Robles, and Ryan Brazier all also pitched. That's a third day in a row for Hansel. So I don't know that he'd be available in this one. Otherwise, I... Uh, they're, they're looking okay. They got Matt Strom and Jake Diekman and Austin Davis from the left side. You probably don't want to roll three lefty relievers out against the, against the Jays. I don't know that Tapia and Biggio are strong enough hitters to go lefty-lefty matchup, especially since you could then uh, pinch hit a Teoscar Hernandez or even a Gabriel Moreno in a spot like that. So again, the offensive environment points to maybe the Jays are going to have a, a decent time against Boston tonight. The hard part would be if Alec Manoa doesn't go deep into this game. Jordan Romano, Tim Meza, Adam Simber all threw a lot of pitches yesterday. Trent Thornton had a, a very tough time being thrown into a higher leverage spot than we'd normally see him. I don't know if that's going to continue. That might just uh, might go back to Thornton being the multi-inning lower leverage guy, a uh, guy who piggybacks on top of a Ross Stripling or something like that. You also have David Phelps available. Uh, Sergio Romo now on the team as Sean Anderson gets optioned down to AAA. So that's how things line up tonight. The Jays are favored. The books like them to sweep. They're minus 170. I've mentioned this a couple times at the Fan Morning Show of late that since single event betting became legal in Ontario, there seems to be... You're paying extra for Toronto teams. And that's not surprising. It's the biggest market... Um, in Ontario, and you'd see lines commensurate with that. Over-under here is at 
The more interesting one might be just the Jays side of that. Um, because again, if you're if you're very optimistic about this game, as the the books are for Toronto, you'd be looking at a strong Manoa performance and then a good Jays day at the plate. So the Jays over four and a half runs is the line there. Maybe that's more of interest to you than the over under eight and a half uh, for the entire game. I mentioned that Bo Bichette has had a nice time against Nick Pavetta in the past. You can get him over one and a half total bases at plus 100. So that's Jays Red Sox. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph on the call for you. And of course, Sportsnet has it for you on television. Blair and Burke will have Jays talk for you post game. Let's take a couple questions to round things out here. This one is not signed, but it's a good question. Lots of giveaways this weekend at the Jays game. What's my favorite of all time uh, for this person? The Gustavo Chassin Cologne uh, is the best giveaway ever. It'd be hard to beat that one. I, uh, I never got the Gustavo Chassin Cologne, unfortunately. It's a, that's a good question. We should do this as a text line question tomorrow. Maybe we'll sprinkle it in uh, tomorrow. So let me... By the way, send another text in so I know who that who that question is from because uh, it's a great one and I want to revisit it tomorrow. I want to look through some of the stuff I have at home uh, and see. I know what it is on the Raptors side when I covered the Raptors for a very long time and have gone to games as a fan. It's uh, Jose Calderon had a bobblehead that really didn't look like him and the commercial advertising it was him just saying, is this supposed to look like me? Um, that's my Jose Calderon uh, impression, I guess. Uh, we'll we'll see. That was from uh, Sarnad. Sar- Sarmad. Sorry, Sarmad. Um, that's a great question, and we'll revisit that tomorrow. So start thinking about that. What's the best uh, giveaway you've had? Alec Manoa t-shirt night tonight. You had George Springer jersey on the weekend. We had a con- we had a code word in the show a little earlier. You can get some Jay's prize packs, some tickets to the to the six p.m. game. Um, George from Toronto asks uh, if Stripling got hit pretty hard last night and it was more about the outfield defense behind him. Uh, I mean, take what you can get here. It's uh, you don't want to uh, look a gift horse in the mouth, I guess is the, uh, is the saying there. Um, Yes. Look, Stripling is filling in very, very admirably as a fifth starter. I I don't think he's a, he's an infallible pitcher. I think especially good lineups like that one, um, are capable of getting to him. He had some very hard contact allowed in that one. You're right, especially his changeup um, got hit pretty hard. But you look at the positives as well. He got you five innings, five and dive. You need more than that from Alec Manoa tonight as the Jays look to sweep the Red Sox. It's bump day. It's Manoa day. It's t-shirt day. It's possibly sweep day. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph with the call for you starting at 7.07 on the Rogers Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker have you for Jay's Talk post game. Thank you to Brittany Donaldson, Arden Zwell, and Doug Fox for coming on earlier. Thank you to listening. Thank you to JR and Derek. Jay's Talk Plus, back tomorrow, 3 to 5. Hope you have a terrific Wednesday. Wednesday.